Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I am your host, as always, Roy Turner. Hey, man. Great, great show this week. We are going to do a special feature called My First Concert. And how cool is it is that a guy that performed, I shouldn't just say a guy, an amazing legend uh, that performed at My First Concert, legendary drummer Greg Bissonette, uh, drummer for Ringo Starr, Carlos Santana, David Lee Roth, uh, and God, every TV show you've seen in the last 20 years and, and more. One of the best drummers in the world uh, and just one of the best dudes ever uh, is joined us this week. Uh, so how cool is it that we're going to sit down and talk about my first concert uh, with a drummer who played at it? Uh, and we're going to talk about his first concert and... Uh, which was the Beatles, and you know, and now he's playing with Ringo Starr. So, um, cool things how things can come back to you in life. And uh, but my first concert, of course, was the David Lee Ross Edom and Smile Tour, uh, which we're going to get into all that stuff. We got great music uh, and just great, great stuff. Uh, Theo Garza, our, our tech savvy tutor, and our stylist Catalina Rinquist are also going to join us after. Uh, we speak with Greg, and they're going to talk about their first concert, because I want to give it kind of, you know, my first concert was in 1986. Uh, I thought it would kind of give it more of a 2019 perspective as well. Uh, write to us. Tell us, what was your first concert? I'd like to hear what people's first concert was and uh, and what your memory was of that, because I've still got such a clear, clear memory of that. And uh we invite you to, to join the conversation. Join us on Twitter. That's uh, Tricky Kid and the number two. That's Tricky Kid and the number two. And, of course, we're on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. And I'm on Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid. Um, Going to bring you a lot more news uh, of a big project that I have been working on uh, that you guys might already kind of know about. It I know it's out there, and I know that... Uh, I haven't done any interviews yet. I've did a I've done a couple little small ones um, when I was on the red carpet in California uh, with a couple of networks, but uh, we're gonna get into that just a little bit. I don't want to give too much away, uh, so not too much that I can say, uh, but enough that uh, you're gonna want to stick around to hear hear about that. But uh, yeah, man, Greg Bissonette. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, okay, so let me set this up for you, okay? I, I don't want to repeat myself, and I've talked about it a little bit, and if you've heard my uh, our episode way back, I think it was episode number three, and now we're almost on episode 80, uh, with Greg Rinoff, who wrote the, the Van Halen book, Van Halen Rising. I talked about this a little bit, and, and I even talk about this when you hear the interview with Greg, and um, what was cool is that Greg like came to our house, like... Um, and I'm going to tell you how all that came to be in a little bit as well. So anyway, let's just go ahead and just jump right on into it. What happened was, was that in 1986, I am 12 years old. In fact, I don't even think I was yet 12 because I was like, it was, uh, I'm born in March. And this is back when concert tickets would go on sale, dude, like seriously, like eight months in advance, maybe even longer. Uh, especially in the market that I lived in, which was in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's where I spent the first 13 years of my life. And um, and also, you know, what what parent is going to let their 11, 12-year-old go see David Lee Roth? You know, the 
uh, very uh, troubadour uh, uh, <laughs> is frontman for Van Halen. Uh, but my mom was pretty cool, and uh, you know, and she also was was pretty young in 1986. I mean, she was only like like 42. That's younger than I am now. Well, anyway, uh, and you know, she was cool. She was into some good music. She had just seen Kiss uh, with a friend a couple years ago, uh, prior to the show. But anyway, um, I was and still am uh, obsessed. Uh, with Van Halen, they were in my entire life, my entire room and house, and also Motley. I mean, I don't want to discount that, but uh, um, you know, and but Van Halen was at the zenith of their commercial, uh, you know, viability. You know, they had had the album 1984, which was just a global, just smash. I mean, they were like, they were like everybody's favorite band. The and also the advent of MTV which they were just made for, especially David Lee Roth, uh, created this juggernaut that just you, it was impossible to ignore, no matter how old you were. And right up my alley, man. And so he, uh, David Lee, like released like this little, uh, you know, this little EP of like lounge covers or something. And and, uh, and of course, remember the cover of, of, uh, of Beach Boys, California Girls. And it became a hit. So I guess... Him, you know, David Lee having his ego being, uh, you know, what it is and all. Uh, so I think it kind of fueled his confidence, you know, like as if David Lee needed more confidence. Uh, but I'm somebody that then and now I like quote David Lee Roth like scripture. Um, we did another episode, actually it was on, 19, on the summer of 87, um, of course, this came out in 86, and the show was 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 that summer. Um, actually, it was the first week of school. Uh, I remember that very, very, very clearly. But I talk about this that, that time as well. It's, it's like one of my favorite times, not just because my first concert, but that whole time is just, golly, my favorite time as a kid, at least one of them for sure. I mean, I've got the moments where like, my mom took me to see Return of the Jedi when I was nine, and, and I have a very deep place in my heart for kind of that early MTV, like that 82 MTV and all that new wave stuff. And and then later, when I got a little older and kind of was discovering stuff on my own, but uh, man, when I think about riding the school bus, that first week and is that first year of junior high um and i've got you know eat em and smile that was david lee roth's solo record that was a tour and i've got like you know the buttons on my jacket and i was still a kid i remember i was like um like trading garbage pill kid cards on the the bus and we lived out in the middle of nowhere so i spent you know the first and last hour of my day on a bus um so there was things to do but just that whole time it was just and it's just funny to think how in my mind, how like it never would have occurred to me that that tour was just in, and if you can believe it, some of the smaller markets that it played later was like in Norman, Oklahoma, like the next night. Like now I would think, well, shit, let's just get in a car and go to Norman. But, you know, uh, I was a few years before I, I would get behind the wheel of a car. But uh, anyway, uh, so let me set it up for you. So again, Tickets went on sale, and here's how I know that was because just like if you ever see the movie Days and Confused, and this is small town, uh, God, I guess we were white trash. I, uh, good people though, but I guess we didn't, we weren't aware of it at least. But anyway, uh, my sister's boyfriend was was leaving, like late at night, 
and I was like, hey, man, you know, like, where are you going? And, and you know, and, and I kind of looked up to him. You know, he was about seven years older than I was, maybe eight. And so that would have made him about, you know, 19, 20 or whatever. And I said, hey, man, where are you going? He's like, oh, uh, me and my friends were going to go camp out for tickets, you know, for David Lee Roth. This is before the Internet. Um, I, I listened to the radio, but I mainly was in my own world still of, you know, tapes and, and, you know, comic books and toys and things like that. So I had no idea that this concert was even happening. And and this is also back when you think that, you know, there's no way I can go to that. It's just not in the realm of, of possibility. Like, you know, like not even because my mom would probably wouldn't let me was because like, like, don't you need some sort of government permission or, or that's something happens on TV, you know, like. And that was the mentality of living in a small town like Little Rock in 1986. Well, anyway, so just jokingly, when he was walking out, I said, hey, man, get me one. You know, thinking there's no way he's going to, he's like, yeah, right, kid. And he didn't say he would. He just was like, he just kind of looked at me like, yeah, <laughs> that'll be the day, whatever. And he leaves. And the next, this is like, I guess, I guess this was a Saturday night because I, or a Friday night because tickets would only go on until on a Saturday morning. And I was up early watching Saturday morning cartoons, like, you know, like any, you know, 11-year-old would be doing. And he comes back after, I guess, you know, after he had secured the tickets. And he comes in and he walks by and he goes, oh, hey, man, here's your ticket. And I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I fell out, man. And, you know, back then, you know, three months felt like, three years i mean you'd, you'd go to you'd leave school in may and y'all remember this back in the day you never went to school a day in june july or august maybe the last week of august but um i can remember almost like clockwork you got out may 25th and you went back september 5th um like you know after labor day weekend or whatever so anyway and remember back then you would do things like you would like sign somebody's like annual like hey stay cool like you're gonna see them in three months if you knew you were gonna see somebody as an adult in three months you'd be like hey man see you later and then when you saw them three months later it seemed like three days later back then it'd be kind of like you'd see somebody three months later and go hey man do you remember me (laughs) hey do you remember me yeah i saw you every single day for nine months and it's only been three months but back then man so i i tell you that because to kind of shape the idea of holding on to these tickets and like in like January and the show was in August Jesus and it was something I was anticipating so I mean it was like a lifetime and to further shape that for you we had moved so a lot of life changes and I was starting junior high so not only had you know the better part of a year had gone by that summer we had we had moved out in the middle of nowhere to Jacksonville, Arkansas, and I was starting junior high. And how lame is that? That you know, at least you know, as hard as it is to start junior high, you've all seen John Hughes films and whatever the current equivalent is right now. There's a great movie called Eighth Grade right now that's fantastic. Um, I think Hulu has a show called Pen Thirteen or something that's kind of cool. Uh, anyway, but you've seen Freaks and Geeks, whatever. It's hard enough to start junior high, and I had to start all over again. I didn't even have like my friends from uh, from sixth grade. So, anyway, and uh, so you know, a lot of changes, uh, you know, had had taken place, and 
Uh, there's so many great memories. People that know me know me that I'm a uh, I'm a massive baseball fan, and who can forget that? You know, it wasn't until October, but uh, the World Series of '86 with Boston and New York, and um, and you know that was really heating up that summer. Um, anyway, so that's kind of what I think of. So uh, there's a funny little story that I I feel like I've told before, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it again. So my sister, my old, I have four sisters. My oldest sister was living back with us and she had two small kids and you know I had taken this ticket like it was like the shroud of Turin like it was just a you know like a, a heavy artifact that, uh, that should be under like heavy glass right and uh and so I put it like in a sandwich bag and like I ziplocked it and I had like this like toy like tool set and I had it, it had a lock on it. that's why and I put it inside that, and I had it at the top of my closet. And every couple of days when I would come home from school, I would climb up to my closet, and I'd open that toolbox and check, and I'd go, ticket's still there, man. Okay, cool. Well, anyway, uh, so I did that almost every day. And then I came home from school that day. Like, this was the day. We had moved. I'd had an entire summer. It was like the first week. The, the actual date of the concert uh, was August 27, 1996. And um, I think I had started seventh grade just like literally just a few days before. And I, but I still told all these new strangers, I'm going to see David Lee Roth tonight. I'm going to my first concert. But living out in the middle of nowhere now proved to be somewhat problematic uh how now how the hell am i going to get there how was i going to get there before you know and uh and thankfully uh my again uh sister's boyfriend um grant uh you know came to get me even out in the middle of nowhere and made sure and this was even funnier was that by this time he had now had broken up with my girlfriend like they weren't even together anymore uh and he still kept his word and Thanks to things like social media, we're able to kind of keep up with people. And even though uh, he isn't somebody that I um, still talk to anymore, really, or anything. And uh, I saw him in New York about 10 years ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer, um, when I was still when I was living in New York. Uh, but my sisters will talk to him on Facebook. And I was like, hey, man, wouldn't it be so cool uh, to have him call in? And, and not only do we have Greg Bissonette, but we could have the guy who actually took me. And he might actually remember it a little bit differently because he was older. Um, but I wasn't unable to. I, I failed you, great listeners. I wasn't I was unable to make it, make it happen. But also, uh, even to add to the story, to make it a little stranger, he uh, had some crazy accident. Uh, not long after this, and doesn't really remember. Uh, my sister talked to him a little bit to kind of, you know, told him what I was up to and what I was hoping we could we could do. And and um, he's not the nostalgic person apparently that I am, and uh, and apparently doesn't remember a whole lot of it. But uh, I still would like to to have, to have uh, had him on. And uh, Grant Marsh, if you're listening to this, and I think you're in the D.C. area, my brother. Uh, thanks again for taking me to my first show. Um, no matter the circumstances. Uh, it, it changed my life, and it was one of my, my, my greatest memories, regardless. Uh, and it's still, uh, you know, one of the greatest two hours of, of liberating rock and roll that I've, I've heard to this day. So gr- much gratitude to, to you for that. Okay. So I come home, and if you can believe it, I check the toolbox, and the ticket is not there. It had been there every day 
for all this time and now it was gone. Oh my God. And then I see like the little, you know, plastic tools in the fake tool chest on the ground. I see the, the sandwich bag, you know, the ultimate insecurity. And then thankfully on the carpet, I see the ticket. I, I'm like, I'm like in tears and I run over to grab it and I was on my way. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a quick break here. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you uh, a track. We're going to, of course, get into some of our sponsors here and, and tell you about some 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 great fun stuff uh, that's coming up and some things you should know about. Uh, and then I'm going to play a track, probably my favorite track off of Edom and Smile, which will be tough because I love it all. I mean, like not only do I love it all, but it's just like that soundtrack to that era of my life is just one long track. I mean, sure, I love Shy Boy and Yankee Rose, but... You can't discount any of it. Um, so I'm going to find one. I'm probably going to play um, probably Elephant Gun because it's just such a high-energy, high-impact song. But I'm going to talk about every track on the record. Uh, and then we're going to have Greg Bissonette, and uh, it's going to be awesome. So stick around. Uh, we'll be right back with with uh, tracks from Edom and Smile and the legendary Greg Bissonette. All right, so let's get into a few things here. So uh, we're going to talk about a company called Video Wise Group. Uh, some of the best videographers, editing, uh, just badass stuff. They do all of our stuff. If you go to our Tricky Kid TV uh, YouTube channel, which we encourage you to do so, and subscribe, it's free. We have so much new stuff over there right now. It's kicking ass, and a lot of it has to do with the fact it's because of the Video Wise Group. Check them out under videowisegroup.com for all of your video editing needs, uh, and they can get you all squared away. Um, want to tell you about a couple of appearances coming up for, for us. Uh, there's a band you need to check out called What's the Frequency Kenneth? If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, they're an REM tribute band who also happens to feature on keyboards our videographer uh, for the upcoming project that we're working on, which I've talked about a little bit, and you're going to be hearing a lot more about it, but I am writing and directing and producing a documentary that is finally going to tell the story of the legendary King's X. Uh, there's a great book out right now that Greg Prado, uh, Greg Prado wrote called The Oral History of King's X, which I encourage you uh, to, to get. Uh, they're gonna, about to enter the studio to record uh, their first album in 11 years, and we will be there with cameras rolling, man. Going to bring you something very, very special. Uh, it's going to take a while, uh, but uh, we're hoping to have this out sometime next year. So stick around for that for sure. Um, also, if if you are or not in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you should still check out January Sound. It's a great recording studio in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Just Google January Sound. It's some great dude named Ty that runs that place. Some great legendary records have been recorded there. We've recorded there. Uh, and it's right there uh, pretty close to the DFW airport as well. Uh, great place, great guy, great sound. Check out January Sound uh, for all your needs there. And again, uh, talk about what's the frequency, Kenneth. REM Tribute Band, April 20th at the Gas Monkey Live uh, there in, uh, in Dallas with uh, Depeche Mode Tribute Band, Strange Love, uh, and many, 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 many more. So check that out. Also want to thank our sponsors, Belvita. It's a great source of fiber. 
uh, and you should definitely should should get yours. It's in, bre- in the breakfast aisle at all uh, local and global um, in the uh, the aisle in the in your local grocery stores. Sorry, I can't talk today. Uh, man, so much to talk about. So much to get into, uh, but man, we're going to be all over the place again. Check us out uh, on uh, on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast, and, uh, and also under DJ Tricky Kid under Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid. Again, our, U- our YouTube channel Tricky Kid TV, and of course, we're on Twitter under Tricky Kid and the number two. Uh, and so, speaking of, of Greg Bissonette, that's actually why he uh, was in town. Uh, and we'll get into that here in just one second. But again, I'm going to play you uh, the song of the week, which again is uh, from David Lee Ross, Eat em and Smile from 1986. This is Elephant Gun. Howdy folks, this is Chet Garner, host of The Day Tripper. You're listening to Tricky Kid Radio with host Roy Turner. Man, what a great track. God, I love this whole album. And like I said, I have so much great memories. Uh, of course, you guys remember the lead the lead single, which of course was Yankee Rose. And, and I remember there was even like a kind of a, like they had to kind of censor it. What, 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 what a different time it was back then because... Uh, David had gotten us a little too close to the camera with a like a silver leotard that was just a little too tight uh, in certain areas. 
Uh, but man, did he come firing back. And you guys remember back then there was a big, uh, you know, war of words between him and the Van Halen brothers. And it was just kind of this ugly, nasty, acrimonious thing. And who, and you know, I didn't want to see my favorite band fighting. I didn't want to have to pick sides, but it was hard not to pick Dave because I was so, he's who, you know, back then when you're 10, 11 years old, until you identify with any band is the singer. And he came back so hard, man, and put together one of the greatest bands to this day ever. Uh, the, the Just the virtuoso uh, talent in this group. On bass, Billy freaking Sheehan, who is known as like the bass player. Do I have to even to tell you about the bona fides of guitarist Steve Vai? And, and I shouldn't even have to tell you anything about Greg Bissonette, but I, I want to because he's our guest this week. And, uh, of course, Greg uh, now plays with Ringo Starr, and, uh, and he was on Carlos Santana's Supernatural record that was a big hit back in making his comeback uh, with Clive Davis had hooked him up with a bunch of contemporary artists and you guys might remember the the single smooth with rob thomas from matchbox 20 and and have you ever seen the show friends or, or all that stuff not not that corny opening theme song but like during the actual show uh you see greg um or you'll hear greg at least uh so anyway I, but i wanted to uh i wanted to go over a couple of tracks here dave actually even did this album in in spanish uh i recently saw my buddy uh wally farkas um, who is also kind of a you know part of the King's X camp, and I was down there filming and interviewing him, and he's a audiophile from the word go, and has a legendary record collection as just a walking uh, thesaurus of just wonderful fun information, and uh, I never actually had extra had seen a copy of um, of the Spanish version of the records. I think it's called Sunrise Cinchonita, and so I was very cool after all these years to, to just recently get, get to see one and uh, but I wanted to talk about the, the tour just a little bit before we bring Greg on and and the record like I said he came back so hard uh, with this record and and what and you know putting together just such an, an insane band and Everything he did was just so, I mean, it, it seemed like a Van Halen record. It was on Warner Brothers. It was produced by Ted Templeman, um, which, of course, you know, Eddie never forgave uh, old, old Ted for. Uh, but it was just it was just crazy. Uh, and there's a lot of covers on this, too. Um, yeah, Sunrise Silvea, that's what it was called. Uh, but Yankee Rose, of course, was the single. Shy Boy was a song written by Billy Sheen when he was in his old band, Talis, which is a great track. And we're going to get into a few other different uh, recent, you know, uh, attempted reunions of the Eatem and Smile tour after, after 30 long years uh, recently. There was the cover of I'm Easy, uh, but new stuff like Ladies Night in Buffalo and Going Crazy, um, uh, a cover of, of, uh, of, of Tobacco Road, uh, You Just Heard, uh, Elephant Gun. I love Big Trouble, uh, and of course, Bump and Grind is, that's got to be like the anthem for just raunchiness, and if you ever seen the movie Less Than Zero, it, it plays a very prominent scene there uh, in that movie, and then a great cover of, uh, of Dean Kay's That's Life, so just what an unusual, awesome thing that was actually meant to be a movie. Uh, we could talk all day long about what was going on with that time. I'm just going to talk about my memories uh, and just kind of fill you in a little bit here 
Um, but uh, but regardless, just such a great record and such a great time. So uh, without any other further ado, hey, let's go ahead and bring on the man, the legendary Greg Bissonette, who was in town because uh, he does a lot of, you know, in spite of all his other stuff he does, he also does like clinics and does concerts and for for high school students and uh, and he's happened to be coming to town. I I'd seen him at Nam, uh, which was actually was pretty cool because it was actually the first time that uh, Billy Sheehan, uh, Steve Vai, and Greg Bissonette had performed together in 30 years since the the Eat 'Em and Smile tour. Uh, there was an attempt uh, a couple years prior, actually in 2016, which was actually the 30 year reunion. Uh, and we talk about that in the interview, so I don't want to give too much of that away. But there's a King's X connection there that you'll see, and and so I wanted uh, Greg to be in the movie to talk about King's X. And so while he was in town, he actually came to the house. Uh, and we filmed his, his segment for the King's X movie, and I said, hey, man, why don't you stick around and let's do the show? I go, you were the drummer at my first concert, and we have so much more to talk about. So he was so kind and so generous and so awesome to do so. So here he is, the man, Greg Bissonette. Well, I thank you so much. It's an honor to be here, and it's an honor to be talking about one of my favorite bands of all time, King's X. That's right. That's right. Walk me through a little bit. I know you've told this story a bunch, whatever, but uh, I'll have pre-taped this little bit about about me going to, to my first concert. But uh, when did you first meet David Lee Roth, and, and how did you get that gig? Oh, well, it's a long story. I don't know which version you want, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest. Gotcha. Okay. I uh, was a huge, and still am, a huge early Van Halen fan, and Dave just... Man, I loved his vibe, still love his vibe. Singing, he's a music guy, man. He's like a musicologist. And uh, he left Ben Halen and had a new band. He got Billy Sheehan first uh, from the band Talis, and then he got Steve Vai from Frank Zappa. And then he asked those guys to go out and leave No Stone Unturned. And uh, I was playing a little bit with Vinnie Vincent from Kiss, the Vinnie Vincent Invasion. And he actually told me, uh, Dave, Dave Roth is looking for a drummer. I said, Dave Roth? Who? He goes, David Lee Roth. I said, David Lee Roth's not looking for a drummer. He's in Van Halen. No, bro. He left Van Halen. He's starting his own band. He's got Billy Sheehan and Steve I. So I did the audition. Uh, the next step was to go down to Dave's basement and play. And I had uh, I had asked Steve I, do you have any uh, recordings of these demos you guys are working on? He said, yeah. And he gave me some cassette tapes. This is 1985, and I went home and I made charts of these arrangements, and I had like 12 songs or so uh, charted out, and, and Dave came in, he goes, how did you learn all these songs so quick? And I said, Steve gave me some tapes, and I charted them out. He goes, wow, you read music, that's cool. What was your last gig? And I said, this is probably gonna blow it for me because it's jazz, it's Maynard Ferguson. He won't know who that is, and he said, Maynard Ferguson, the great high note lead trumpet player that did Herbie Hancock's Chameleon? I'm like, this guy knows music. Dave knows music. And he said, man, if you can power that 18-piece big band, you can power us. Welcome to the band. And that was it. That's amazing. Well, you know, he was on Joe Rogan just like a couple days ago, and he was actually trying to explain jazz to Joe Rogan. And he was doing it with his voice. Dave's on the Joe Rogan show. He was on, well, you know, Dave has a new, uh, you know, he's really into tattoos. Yeah, he's a new Right. Yeah, cool. So, He's out, see that. He was out promoting that, and so it was just kind of funny because, you know, Joe gave the typical, like, non-jazz fan answer. He was just kind of like, 
well, you know, I like jazz, but I think I need someone to explain it to me. Yeah, so and then, great. And then Dave was like, well, here's... And then, so Dave was like, see if I do this with my voice. Yeah. I'll have to let you hear it. I got to hear it. Dave's, yeah. Dave's a genius, man. Yeah. He's the funniest guy I know. He's probably the smartest guy I know. And he knows music, man. He knows music. Well... So let me let me set this up for you just for a second. So this is in Little Rock, Arkansas. This is in 1980. Uh, we'll say like, we'll say what I'm going to say is sometime around late '85. Let's say early, say January of '86. Okay, this is back when when you would buy concert tickets. You would get concert tickets like eight months in advance. It's not um, like it is it now is with the internet, right? Yeah. So it's not like where you know, hey, tickets go on sale and the show's in three weeks. It's kind of like you would have those tickets for the better part of a year. I understand. And then in Little Rock back then, only a few shows came through town. And I had never been to a concert. You know, yeah. I, I was only in, I was 11 in 1985. You yeah. Know? Well, anyway, so my sister's boyfriend was over at the house. And, and I'm a massive, like Van Halen is like my, my life. You know, yeah. I'm 10 years old. It's my entire life is Van Halen. My entire walls are... All Van Halen. Anyway, so they did that traditional old school thing where they were going to camp out overnight to get tickets. Because oh, yeah. back then you couldn't wait for David Lee Roth to bring the Van Halen circus to town. Exactly. Well, well, now it was David Lee by himself. Yeah. And he was leaving like like very late. And I was like, where are you going? He's like, oh, man, me and my buddies are going to go camp out for David Lee Roth tickets. Oh, cool. Just joking around, I just said, again, I'm an 11-year-old kid. I said, hey, get me one, man. Just kidding around, yeah. you know, and he was, and, you know, whatever. I couldn't believe it. It's like the next morning, it's like Saturday morning. I'm such a kid. I'm like eating cereal, watching Saturday morning cartoons. I was there. And he walks in, and while I'm eating the, the stuff, whatever, he'd been up all night trying to get tickets and throws down a David Lee Roth ticket to that show in front of my, in front of my face. You know, you hear it your whole life, but it really changed my life. I understand. So for eight months, I... Think about what happened in eight months' time. I went from being in the sixth grade to being in the seventh grade. I'd started junior high. We had moved. Like, I felt like I had that ticket for like five years. You I know? understand completely. Uh, and so being at that concert to this day, it's still the greatest, most liberating two hours of exciting rock and roll I have still seen to this day. <laughs> right. Thank you. It That's is, amazing. That's a great story. It's, it's so you were the drummer. And I was very blessed to be the drummer. Well, yeah, but but you know, I went there. You know, I was a kid. I didn't know who Steve Vai was. I didn't know who Billy Sheen was. I didn't know who Greg Bissonette was. But I left there going, "This band is as good as Van Halen." Oh, thank you, man. That was our goal. So talk to me. When well, you... Dave's goal it was to be better. <laughs> right, right, right. He's always achieving, but I was just a huge Van Halen fan too. Well, but tell me, what do you think about that tour? Just that whole experience. I know you went on to do Skyscraper, but when it was just the, when it was the, the three of you guys in Dave, in Dave. And Brett Tuggle, too. And Brett Tuggle, right, of course. Talk to me, like, what do you think about in that experience? Like, like what is your knee-jerk reaction? What do you knee think jerk, about? Yeah. Knee-jerk is the Hampton Arena. My last touring situation was Maynard Ferguson, my childhood, you know, one of my childhood heroes. I want to be in Maynard Ferguson's big man. We played usually to 500 to 1,000 people. My dad came out from Detroit to see the first show, and we're in a movie theater that's closed down just so we could see a movie, and Dave's got his radio, and he goes to his head guy, he goes, bring us some pizzas. 
and they bring pizzas in, and my dad's saying, we're eating pizzas in a movie theater in Hampton, Virginia. We start that show, and the adrenaline rush of being 26 years old and seeing 30,000 people like you were in Little Rock, just, the place was throbbing with, it was, the place was just sweat. <clears throat> Like this is the heart. biggest crowd you've ever played in the, the biggest crowd at that time, right? Yeah. The biggest crowd at that time. The biggest crowd ever was Dave at Castle Donington on the Monsters of Rock, 107,000 people. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was just that. It was like, oh my Lord, this is like nothing I ever dreamed of. And my heart was pumping and I was just, I was crying. I was, there, there are only a handful of times I've cried one was when it was Ringo's birthday, and Ringo's playing next to me. We're playing ba da 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 da. Paul's <laughs> playing bass, and I'm looking at my heroes, Ringo and Paul, and I'm crying. And that was Hampton, Virginia. I was crying. God, goosebumps, man. Because you know, it it, it it's my favorite memory as a kid. You know, I mean, yes, I got the bike for Christmas. I, mean, I grew up extremely poor. That's something else you should know too. Was that me going to something like that? Not only wasn't just for the fact that. Would my parents allow me to do it? Right. Dirt, whatever poverty story you've ever heard, I lived through all that. So, so for me, and I mean, I had great parents, and, and I had everything that I needed. But you know, instead of the bike uh, at Christmas, which I did get, or the you know all the great childhood memories of going to see Return of the Jedi with my mom and all that, it's that whole year. Like I had the the eat them and smile button on my thing. I had my. Riding the bus, listen, that soundtrack to, to that year. You didn't smile, you had the CD. It, yeah, it's, the, the, it's, it's my favorite memories as, as a young person. That means the world to me, man. I mean, right, right, right now, I am riding the bus to school. I'm listening to, God, I, love, I, I know every nuance of that record. It's the record that I've heard the most in my life. I, wow. there, is, there is not a record that I've heard more than that. Motley's Too Fast for Love could be a close second. but then, More than the early Van Halen you heard Eat Him and Smile more? Uh, I, because, because it was mine. Yeah. You see know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas I love, love Van Halen. They were my entire life, like I said. But Van Halen came before. Right. And I didn't get into Van Halen until the 1984 record. Right. There was something about Eat Him and Smile. Well, that was, that's mine. You were there. That, that belongs to you me. Were in that you concert. latch on to it, yeah. you know? So for me and forevermore, it will always be that. I mean, I, I still to this day say, give me a bottle of anything and a glazed Glaze donut, donut to, to go. go. <laughs> Guess who came and was in a band that night when I saw Doug at the Ultimate Nam Night? Guess who comes up to me as a background singer and says, hey, remember me? And I went, Durga, the girl, the, the woman that said that. Not if he was the last immigrant girl said, on earth, honey. So I said, would you come up and say that? She got up on stage and Billy said, I brought her over before we She played. was there? Because I was she right behind was you. She was there. Oh, my God. And she got on stage, Roy, and Billy said, see if you remember this. And she said, not if he was the last immigrant girl said, on earth with an F, honey. And she said it on stage before we played Shibo. Oh my God! Because I we were we were we were filming, you know, the the, the King's. You were movie. busy that night. Well, now hang on now, because but again, like I said, I've waited thirty years to see you guys play together again, and so I even told Doug because because you guys had uh, had played. I think right at was it right after Doug, or right before Doug. I think it was right before, before. Doug. Before, yeah. So 
Yeah, that's right, because we were getting some B-roll on the side of the stage with uh, with a bunch of different people. And I even told Marcus and Doug, I said, listen, when these three guys start playing, I was like, I'm I'm running to the stage. Thank you. No movie or no movie. I've waited 30 freaking years for this. 30 years for this. And so I was like... He's like, cool, cool. But I did not I did not see that, and I did not know that she was there. Marcus, I can't it's freaking on, believe you know, it, it's man. It's probably on, uh, they have a, uh, what's, I don't know, the blog, but they look up Ultimate Nam Night. And okay. I she's on film there. Well, there are also, I mean, we obviously, we filmed there, and obviously there was another camera that has uh, the footage with Doug and, and Charlie and all that, whatever. You get it. It's, it's, so, but that, I did not know that. That's amazing. So, speaking of Doug, okay, so... Tell me about this because this is this is a funny thing I think you'll enjoy. I think this, this is the main thing you'll enjoy about this. Is it? So fast forward to is it? What, what am I hearing back there? Oh, this is it. Okay. Um, so uh, fast forward to the thirtieth anniversary of Edom and Smile. It's two thousand and sixteen. <laughs> Instead of some big, you know, show, they're set it up for us. There's a place called Lucky Strike. It's okay. a bowling alley. Okay. Walk us through that night. Okay. So. Uh, our friend Chuck Wright, who's a great bass player uh, from a lot of bands, Quiet Riot and a bunch of bands, he, Billy Sheehan and I were playing Shy Boy together one night, and he said, man, any chance maybe you'd ask Steve to come out and play Shy Boy with us? I said, of course. And then he jokes, he goes, any chance of getting Dave to come out? And I said, hey, you never know, you know. And um, somehow we put the word out that, hey, Dave, if you'd like to come, there's this cool club called Lucky Strike right in Hollywood. Maybe we could do Yankee Rose and Shy Boy. And uh, just in case he couldn't make it, we had asked a great friend of ours, Ralph from Steel Panther, who used to be in the Atomic Punks, who's a great man. David Lee Ralph, he was. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we said, I called Ralph and I said, man, would there be any chance that you'd be up for... Uh, singing Yankee Rose and Shy Boy in case Dave can't be there. He said, absolutely. I said, what if he doesn't, what if he shows up? Would it be awkward for you to really be there and know him? He goes, are you kidding? I want to see it. So he's there, but Dave was into it, and he showed up, and Ralph's there. And Ralph goes up to Dave, and, and, and he wants to introduce himself, and Dave just says, I know you, you're David Lee Ralph, because he loved the Atomic Punks, right? So oh, I Ralph, gave it away. I'll cut that out so you can deliver nah, it. So yeah. Ralph's going, wow, this is amazing. And uh, Doug was there. And uh, Doug was just kind of hanging. In fact, before the show, Billy and my sister Kathy and I were uh, across the street at a, a coffee shop or something. And Doug came with me, and so we were talking. And, and Doug knows that Billy is the reason that I knew about King's X from that bar in Mississippi that I told you about in the, in the other interview. Billy turned me on to King's X. So it was really cool to have Doug there. And then here's Doug at the second one. The first one, unfortunately, word got out. And it got leaked out. And so the streets were jammed. The police are going, what's going on? Traffic stopped. And the place is so full, the fire marshal comes in and says, unless you get people out of here, they can't play. So Chuck Wright's on stage going, some of you have to leave, or we can't do this show. Well, nobody's going to leave. And then he says, if you leave, the band's agreed to sign stuff for you. And they're like, we want to see this. So nobody left, the fire marshal shut it down, and it didn't happen. So we had a great hang backstage. Part two was the ultimate NAM, and 
Dave was busy in New York and he couldn't make it at that time. So it was a great night. And was he ever originally going to do the the one at Nam? I mean, like 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 was he couldn't it... because the date was uh, uh, set already and he was already working. He might have been doing Joe Rogan. Okay, I don't okay. know. He couldn't make it, so it'll happen sometime. Well, okay. So to walk me through this, because here, here's the here's where I like to tease Doug, okay? Because and obviously Doug and I are like brothers, and and we can tease each other about this. But Doug loves his phone, and Doug, lo- where a lot of people are like, you know, when they get older, they shy away from new technology and social media. Doug loves it, all right? So I teased Doug that it was since he was backstage at Lucky Strike. At Lucky Strike, the first time that he's responsible, he jinxed it f- for it getting out because because oh. he. I mean, I mean, this is all kidding, of course, but but like he took a picture or something and in, in, in all those musician people what we should let people know too is that you guys weren't expecting a big crowd you didn't even want a big crowd you weren't going to announce it you just invited Dave to come down and do a couple of songs to maybe see what like if this could be something bigger no we just the bottom line is uh, Dave is as I mentioned he's a music guy and Dave is uh, a great guy he's a great friend so we just thought Let's just do this. Let's play these songs. It's been 30 years. And so we didn't know what to expect. We kind of didn't want it announced because we didn't want it shut down. Uh, we didn't even think about it being shut down. We just thought right, right. whether there's 10 people or 10,000 people, let's just play the music. I'm glad it got shut down because it's... It, it's, it adds to the, it adds to the <laughs> vibe, right? The legacy of it. So I'm glad Doug posted it on social media. I thought you were going to joke and say, Doug was there... When it didn't happen in Hollywood, Doug was there. When it didn't happen in Anaheim, he jinxed it. But that's another joke. I don't know. That that's the that's the same joke. So yeah. so so I, I I kid with him. I say I go. You realize that the reason why that didn't happen for people out there that don't know it, Lucky Seven or Lucky Strike is a place that has like weekly jams. You know, they have weekly jams. So this was just going to be just. This wasn't like some special event. This was just what was happening that week. Exactly. Right? Okay. Exactly. So Doug is there like he like he would he would have been every week. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like okay. So I joke with him that he had tweeted a picture or, or Instagram and people were like, Oh my God, we gotta get down there and he's why it didn't happen. <laughs> and so then while he was booked to play right after you guys at NAM, that's why it didn't happen again. That's why our interview didn't happen. And, right, right. And it's why our interview didn't happen. So I was like, Doug, you are keeping me from my Edom and Smile reunion. No. Nah, <laughs> I told Doug, I called him and I said, Doug, I feel horrible that I split and forgot it. I was so caught up in the moment and Billy Sheen and I were walking out Brett Tuggle and Billy and I and uh, I blew it and I said I will make this happen and here we are in Frisco that's right that's right like I said there's some days that are better than others some days better Greg it's better it would have been so crazy there There there's so much noise going on people just and loud and I would because actually what I wanted to do was I was just going to try to see what we could kind of get initially and then schedule something like this and so with the fact that you were here at the same time is beautiful and I'm on your turf so it's perfect and so one last thing because we got got six minutes before we have have to go here so I you said that it will eventually happen though well I don't know that but I hope so okay I I mean I mean but in 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 what scope you mean like 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 a one and done a tour or something this is kind of like uh wishful thinking on my part but I would hope we do a reunion jam I would hope that would turn into 
more recording. I would hope that would turn into another tour, but I don't know. I don't. Right. Everybody, you know, Billy Sheehan, Brett Tuggle, Steve Vai, David Lee Roth, and myself, we all have a lot going on. Right, yeah, right. So I don't know if the stars can align for that, but I sure hope it does. Right. It would and be a blast. For sure. It and was it- seven years of joy for me. I was 26 years old, and I was playing with one of my heroes, David Lee Roth, and that went from 1985 to 2002, to, to 1992, seven years. And now you're playing, speaking of my first concert, which is the theme here, you are now playing with your all-time hero and have been for a while of your first concert. Walk us through but your, your dad taking you to see the Beatles. Okay, so I'm going to be totally honest right yeah. now. And uh, honesty, the truth will set you free. My very first concert was in a high school auditor- auditorium, gymnasium, I think, and it was the famous Count Basie Orchestra. And I'm sitting with my parents. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm sitting there kind of going, you know what? I'm telling this story to you, and I'm realizing that I've been telling this wrong. I saw Basie, and I was probably in fifth grade, which would make me nine. When I was seven, the first concert was the Beatles. Okay, so you just helped me. I've been telling that the wrong way. I said, my first show was Basie. No, the Beatles were my first show. Now I'm going to tell that story. My dad was a drummer, a working drummer in Detroit, and he had a band that played parties. And he was playing a wedding, and he came out of the convention room into the lobby, and he said, what is going on? There were thousands of screaming girls. And the food and beverage manager said, bud, the Beatles are staying upstairs. They're playing tomorrow night at Olympia Hockey Arena, where the Red Wing hockey team plays. The Beatles are playing tomorrow? And my dad, being the people guy he is, he says, Bob, whatever the guy, food and beverages manager's name was, he says, any chance of putting me close to six tickets? And he goes, Bud, it's the Beatles. They've been sold out for six months. Are you kidding me? But I like you, Bud. Come back at 1 a.m. when your wedding gig's over. I'll see what I can do. I don't know who Bob or whatever his name talked to. Maybe it was Brian Epstein. I don't know. But he goes, I got good news and bad news. James Brown is in the house. Yeah. (laughs) He says, come back at 1 a.m. I got six tickets for you. And basically, he says, it's 36 bucks total. Six bucks a ticket. And my dad goes, I'm making 50 bucks on the gig. I'll clear 14. Kids, we're going to see the Beatles tomorrow. So my sister was too young, but my brother and I and my dad and some neighbor friends of ours, the Traxes, T-R-A-X, Tom Trax, his daughter Karen, and Jeff Trax, one of my best friends, we went to see the Beatles. And I'm sitting there going, I'm in the same room as these guys. Probably the same way I was seven, you were 10. You were going, I'm in the same room with David Lee Roth, Steve Vai, Billy Sheehan, Greg, Brett Tuttle. I'm seeing the Eat em and Smile Band. I'm going, I'm seeing and hearing the Beatles. You can barely hear them because there wasn't Eat em and Smile amplification. It was probably a sure vocal master system right? or whatever they announced. Number nine on the ice, Gordy Howe. I just knew I was in the same room. I told Ringo uh, probably just a few years ago, we were in Detroit playing at the Fox Theater. I said, Ringo, you know, 50 years ago, it was 50 years ago today, I saw you guys at Olympia Hockey Arena down the street. He said, is that where that was? He said, let's go. 
I said, unfortunately, it's a parking lot now. In America, we tend to destroy national landmarks and build other But he was up places. for going down there to check it he out, He wanted though. to go. I said, we can't go. It's a parking lot. After we finished our first song, Matchbox, he stopped the band and said, I was talking to my friend on the other kit, and when he was seven, he was taken to the other place to see a band, and I was in that band. Because he's from here, Detroit, and he introduces me. And I said, all my friends from high school were there. And on the plane, I said, Ringo, you don't know what that meant to me, man. All my friends were there. He says, if I knew it meant that much, I would have said more. That's the kind of guy he is. So that was my first concert. Well, so for, it's so perfect because, like I said, because I get to tell you about my first concert. So I was going to ask you, did you ever get to tell Ringo? And then and not only did you, but then he gets to do it. Greg, thank you so much for being here today, Roy, my thank friend. Thank you. What an honor to talk to you. I feel like we are the same we are. vibe. We are. We are. We're <laughs> we are. passionate. It's about the music. It's about love. And I'll tell you, getting to talk about one of my all-time favorite bands, King's X, and to relate that to Billy Sheehan, Billy Sheehan introducing me to the music, my brother Matt and I starting a band that was the greatest I could ever dream of, The Mustard Seeds, and with Matt, Doug Bossy, George Bernhard, and I, and being in The Mustard Seeds, that were modeled after King's X and the Beatles and, you know, getting to have this come full circle is a joy. Thank you. Thank you, Greg, so much. I appreciate it. Hi, this is Natalie Cox. I play Juno Eclipse in The Force Unleashed and you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Tanner. Oh man, what a great time. I want to thank Greg Bissonette so much for coming on and sharing his memories and how, how often not only do you get to talk with you know one of the guys that played at your first show ever, but he comes to your house to do it. So some days are good, some days are, are, are better. And, and again, there's some days where uh, Greg Bissonette comes to your house. Speaking of Van Halen, I just had a birthday and I got myself a pair of those 1978 uh, uh, Eddie Van Halen high tops. And I have a picture of me wearing them, and I'll have it on the on our website at trickykid.com. Everything we're talking about, we'll have pictures of, and there's more. And you also can can uh, listen to the show. Uh, I, I encourage you to go to iTunes to subscribe. Uh, you'll get shows just like this each and every single Thursday. And we're on Google Play and Spotify and all that. But also, you can stream it right from our, our website at tricky-kid.com. And again, there's pictures of everything that we're talking about, so it kind of gives you a little bit more more of a of a visual there. Uh, but so I wanted to to, uh, to share a few more facts about that. I wanted to tell you that, like, I remember that um, the band Cinderella had opened, and what had happened was he said, "This is like you know the first time I'm ever seeing like a live band. I mean, I'm seeing a professional live band. I mean, like MTV is now not." on TV. It's in front of my face. Uh, and Cinderella came out and just destroyed. They were so awesome. And I, and I became just a great big fan of theirs too. And, uh, something I had, you know, that first album that they were on, that was their first tour, uh, called night songs. And I had all the posters, but the one thing I really want to get across, if you've heard anything that at least that I've said on this episode, is it, I just want you to imagine and at least, uh, you know, either remember it, if you were, if you lived through it too, or just appreciate what this was like. All of these firsts were happening, but all those things are, are wonderful. 
but I'm just trying to, to paint a, a very clear picture here. That imagine a small town good kid like me uh, came from a very very poor family. Uh, thankfully, I had a you know a great mom, and so this isn't like a blues jam. But you know we were very poor. Uh, but she always made sure I had what I needed, and just that that innocence of living out in the middle of nowhere and just living vicariously through what you were seeing on MTV and, you know, going to school and having the buttons and, and, uh, and just, it was just such a wonderful thing, riding the bus and having, you know, Edom and Smile and my, my Walkman. And I'm sure my story isn't unique, but it's still no less important to me. And in getting the, and having this impression and, and I hate when people are always going to go, I, I knew right then I had to be a part of it. It changed my life, but it really did. I mean, there's a reason why we're still, you know, I'm still talking about it 33 years later. And uh, and what a great memory and getting the chance to actually talk about it with uh, Greg Bissonette. I mean, that's just insane, right? Uh, how, how far that um, that I've come and, and, uh, and he's come. And now he's playing with Ringo Starr at his first concert. Something else I wanted to mention, it, it's so interesting too to me how, not that I lost interest or things like that, but one thing I would love to have a second chance at is this. Uh, if you follow the David Lee Roth uh, lineage and everything else, you'll know it was a very, very successful tour uh, that that lasted uh, up until, you know, February the following year. Like I said, it had started, uh, as we talked about, you know, uh, in August, um, and, you know, in Virginia, and I saw six, seven, I think, as I said, the, the ninth show of the tour, uh, and this kept going, like I said, until uh, the second North American leg lasted until the end of February in Denver in 87. Uh, but what's so crazy for me to think about is all that took place almost immediately, I wouldn't say immediately, but, uh, but right after. But just like, you know, a year later, uh, it's so crazy. And this is what I'm talking about. I don't know what the hell I was doing in 1988. <laughs> this is what I'm getting at. So, okay, so that show happened in August of 86, right? Okay. So it lasted until February in Denver of 87. Well, literally the next January in 88, he already had his, he had his second record out called Skyscraper. Uh, and they... We're back on the road in February of 88, you know, uh, right back at it again. And, okay, so let's set that up. All right, what the hell was I thinking? Because, okay, so, again, it lasted until February of 87, Eat and Smile. That 4th of July, still in Little Rock, I saw my second concert, which was Motley Crue's infamous Girls, Girls, Girls Tour. And if you haven't checked out our 1987 episode, it's in our archives. I employ you to check it out. It's one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. And it's from the perspective of a kid uh, from that time riding a Huffy Sigma bike with the white uh, hubcaps and the whole nine. Anyway, all right. So I've been to two shows now. Well, so by July of 87. Well, that August of 87, we moved to uh, here. We moved to, to Dallas, Texas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And so I had, you know, I'd, I'd been to shows. I have no idea, and it wasn't because of lack of money, which I'm sure probably had a factor, or a lack of desire, 
But you would think I was in like solitary confinement or something. I did not go to a single concert in, in 1988. And in fact, I didn't go to another one until summer. Uh, I'm sorry, until, until I think until spring of 89 when I saw Anthrax on the Headbangers Ball Tour uh, in April of that year. And it was only because it was like I happened to be listening to the radio, which I never did. Because by that time, I was so into thrash metal and my whole thing that if it wasn't in my Walkman, I didn't hear it. If it wasn't in Rip Magazine, I didn't know about it. Uh, and so we just happened to be listening and we heard the, the, the commercial for Anthrax's Headbangers Ball. And it was like, oh, yeah, concerts. But do you have any idea how much I missed in 1988? Uh, there's a great resource called setlist.fm. I check out a lot and I use it for the show. And it's crazy how I'll go, well, how come I didn't go to that? Oh, it happened in 1988 when I had this, when I was 14, and I apparently had this cone of silence over my head where I wasn't paying attention to anything uh, other than just goofing off of my friends and reading comic books. And like I said, and, um, and I never turned my back on, you know, on, on David Lee. I, I, I was very turned off by Van Halen at this point. I, I never got into Sammy Hagar and... Um, 5150 was a cool record, but I, but regardless by 88 and what they were doing with OU812, I was totally out. That would change, of course, a little bit later, but at this point it was all about Slayer and Metallica and Anthrax and, you know, something you discover on your own. But it's just so weird to me that, that David Lee came to Dallas uh, and, and, you know, here's the deal was, you know, so they were back on the road and, and by February of 88, uh, well, they were rehearsing like Dave likes to do, did a four night thing in Lakeland, Lakeland, Florida and started the tour on my birthday, my 14th birthday, March 5th, 1988. Uh, and then, uh, by, uh, May they were, uh, in Dallas and I never heard about it. And I might not have cared, to be honest, which is sad because I'll be honest, I never got into the album Skyscraper. I don't know if it was because it was a subpar record or it was because, again, it could have been the great, it could have been Edom and Smile Part 2. My 14-year-old thrash metal skateboarding guy may have just been like, oh, that's, that's kid shit. Now, and that's just a funny thing is when we get older, we look back and go, you have a much more appreciation for it and you don't really have the ability to go, Oh man, that shit sucked. It's like, I would do anything to go to the David Lee Roth skyscraper tour right now. I never really cared for the first single, just like paradise. It was cool that it was, you know, those three guys, you know, with Vi, Sheen and Bissonette. And, uh, but I never got into it. I never owned the record. Uh, so I, I may not have cared. I, I do remember, I feel like a few years after that, by like 1990 or 91, when he put out uh, A Little Ain't Enough, a very different blues record. Greg was still the only one on the record by then. That I was feeling a little remiss. of like, oh, I kind of, yeah, I think the nostalgia for Eat Him and Smile might have even began sometime around there. Uh, but it's just so strange to me how I, like, how could I have let that slip through my fingers? But you know, when you're 14 and uh, those things just tend to happen, right? You know, so now we're going to bring in uh, some uh, 
returning guest uh, to the show. You might remember Theo Garza. He's the tech-savvy tutor, helping you out with all of your tech-savvy needs. And you might want to give him a, a ring and check him out. You'll get a discount by mentioning this show. And uh, and also Catalina Rinquist, who was like the most stylist, most unbelievably awesome uh, person ever. Um, they're a duo, and they've been on the show before. We did an entire episode with them, and I encourage you to check out in our archives. And I thought it'd be kind of neat to see, you know, hey, what about, you know, some younger people? What, were, what, what was their first concert? You get, it's hard to imagine people going, yeah, the first time I saw, you know, Ariana Grande. I don't know why that's hard to think about, but uh, it's. I wanted to get a good perspective. And what's pretty cool is that um, one of them mentions their first concert that I was actually at. So that was pretty cool. So let's go ahead and bring on uh, Theo and Catalina about the first concert that either you requested to go to or if you have an older sibling that kind of like like took you but not mm-hmm. against your will like you're like like yeah. you actually wanted to go right yeah. to this concert. so what was the first like, like like you still have the stub and shit like in yeah. a, in a oh, photo damn. Album, like. <laughs> i still have like a lot no um the very first concert that i went to that i actually wanted to go to i was around eight years old okay um, and what year was that? It was 2008. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> 2008, 2009-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a band that is like a Hispanic pop band that I listened to with my mom. And they had like a little Spanish soap opera show. The band is called RBD. And for any of my like Latin Hispanic people who know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They, they know. <laughs> they know that they were good. But I, I remember I was so short where they had to like, I had to stand on top of the chairs and then the security guard was yelling at me, telling me to get off the chairs. And yelling I, at a child. That, yes. that, that is, that <laughs> is concert was, security for you right there. Yes, because uh-huh. I was so tiny. I couldn't see over everyone's little, he- like everyone's heads. I was like as tall as yeah. the chair. <laughs> so um, my aunt, I remember we were supposed to be my mom and my dad, but my dad had to work. So my aunt decided to come in and go to the mm-hmm. concert with us she sat me on her shoulders the whole entire concert Aww. and i felt so bad but i was like thank you so much because we mm-hmm. were so close to the stage i could see my favorite singer and i was just so happy that oh is the that, that's what it's all about and where was the show at it was actually at the american airlines center at the american airlines center wow band yeah. is called rbd this was about a little over 10 years ago yeah. Okay, any RBD song, I'm going to have to play a track from them. Any Ooh. RBD song I should play. Okay, do you want English or Spanish? So that's uh, a real let's go full Spanish. Full like, Spanish, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Well, their iconic song is called Rebelde. Rebelde. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So I'm going to have to play that. Yeah. So that's what it's all about, dude, because mm-hmm. it, could, it could have been like, it doesn't matter that RBD didn't, is not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You yeah. will always have an affinity. Yeah. I will never be into Cardi B. I will never be into <laughs> Ariana Grande. But I get it that somebody needs it because you have to attach yourself to something. Mm-hmm. Then later, then you owe it to yourself to be kind of like, okay, let me check out everything. Yeah. But right now, this is what you're most excited about, right? Yeah. So that was something you went to when you were eight, and it was your favorite singer yes. at the time. Give me one more where you, it was the first time you went without your parents or your family. All right, so that was actually my next concert. Okay. I'm not one to go for a lot of concerts just because uh, money. <laughs> right, right, right. So. I wouldn't have been to so many if I didn't do what I do, you know? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So um, the last concert that I went to, which was the second one, um, 
was for The Pretty Reckless, and I went with my best friend at the time, and this was in the year 2015, so it wasn't like too long ago, but um, she invited me to go see The Pretty Reckless, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go, we like the same types of bands, I don't mind. And um, this is uh, the, I don't know if you know who Taylor Momsen is. She. I was at that concert, but, yes. but keep going. Yes. <laughs> oh, you were. Oh, yeah. Look at that. I am yes. obsessed with her. So. Oh, my God, I, I, I love her. But I, want, I didn't know of the band until, like, after I saw them in concert. And when I saw them in concert, I was like, oh, my God, I really love this band now. So I was, like, jamming it all the way back, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was just an amazing experience because I was with my best friend. So, so okay, mm-hmm. so, so help me out here because I have seen the Pretty Reckless every time they've come to town. They are hands down one of my favorite bands. And when people talk about like my favorite bands are like, well, we know you like Van Halen. What do you like? Like the, or you, we know you love Motley Crue. What about, uh, and I say my favorite band in the last 10 years without question is the Pretty Reckless. Mm-hmm. Taylor Momsen is a freaking star. She is. The babe of all babes. Oh my God, yes. It's hard. <laughs> I feel so outcasted. It's I don't know hard well. <laughs> to deal with it. Like I, I, there were like, if, instead of like the dudes like going, yeah, it was like all girls yeah. saying like, I'm not gay, but I'd be gay for her. Yeah. And, and some were like, I'm totally gay. That and that's why, and that, some were like, I'm totally gay. And that's why I'm here. Yeah. But now they play with the house of blues, right? Yeah. Okay. Now was it at the smaller room upstairs or was it the main room it downstairs? The main room downstairs. Okay. Yeah. Because they played in the main room. Now were they opening for anybody or was it the it was main show? Them. It was gotcha. Them. Okay, so I got to tell a quick Taylor Momsen story just real fast. Maybe, maybe you'll like it here. Okay, so I have toured with a bunch of bands, right? Okay, and so uh, they had played, well, let me back up for a second. They had come opening for, you know who the Veronicas are, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, and they, I saw them opening for the Veronicas at House of Blues, okay? But I didn't quite put two and two together. Now, yeah. something else. Like, just like how I love Slayer, but I also love Debbie Gibson. Yeah. I have a younger sister, so I have seen every episode of Dawson's Creek. I've seen every episode of The O.C., and I've seen every episode of Gossip Girl. Mm-hmm. Taylor Momsen was the actress from Gossip Girl, the greatest yeah. show of all time, right? I love okay. Gossip Girl, sorry. <laughs> and side note, of course, I know people, of course, you know, she probably would want you to... to would want you to forget this, but Taylor Momsen, of course, played Cindy Lou Who mm-hmm. uh, in, of course, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, a live action with Jim okay. Carrey. Well, anyway, I was on, uh, even though it was locally, I was on tour with another band, and we were playing in the main room of House of Blues. Yeah. And then somebody, like one of the stagehands says, hey, because I saw like all these like young girls that yeah. were like, going to the, you know that little room they have upstairs called the Cambridge Room? It's like a yeah. little, almost like a, like a little club atmosphere. And I was like, what's going on? And they were like, oh, it was like, hey, like some actress from the, from Gossip Girl has her own band now, and then there's playing, and I was like, oh, I gotta go check that out for a second. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna go up there, I'm gonna walk in, I'm gonna go and watch one song, take a picture, send it to my sister, and say, hey, Gossip Girl is here, yeah. and be done with it. Yeah. And I walked in, there's Taylor Momsen, who Ooh. it's, 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 I have to fan my face when I say yeah, her name. Yeah, I just like, I'm going to look her up now. It is hard to breathe. And she was wearing this ripped Iron Maiden shirt. I think she was all of like, you're 19? Yeah. I think she was about, about, about 19, had this ripped Iron Maiden number of the B shirt just right above her 
uh, just stopped right here, right above yeah. her, her her navel, between her navel, and, her, and these like skin tight leopard like tight pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't think they were just like velvet, crushed velvet, whatever. Yeah. And just killing it, dude. Like just killing it. And I ended up staying for the whole show. <gasps> And I was like, oh my God, I got to get downstairs. Yeah. And I was like, I'm never, I'm like, well, I'm never missing this again. Yeah. And they came back to to House of Blues like three or four more times. Mm -hmm. I ended up seeing like, we'd be on tour and we'd be at festivals and like they'd be playing the other stage and I would run over there to see them and all that. Um, and like, and then what was even crazier was that you could see her really coming into her own. Yeah. And she would get more daring and more daring yeah. to the point that by the time the second album came out called Going to Hell, yep. she is completely naked on the cover mm-hmm. and the in the, right, in the video. And this isn't about some like titillating, like we're not being kind of trashy. No. This was her statement of female empowerment. Yep. You know, and that's what she represents. A very not like she's not up there shaking her ass no. and being some vapid, uh, you know, disposable pop star. No, she is a the real deal. Can yeah. sing her ass off, the stage presence, and and is not afraid to explore that kind of sexuality. You know, but now, kind of a sad kind of fact, her favorite band is and her hero and her idol is Chris Cornell mm-hmm. from Soundgarden. Who actually, when I walked in that first time and to watch her playing, yeah. she actually was doing a Soundgarden cover. I think actually, I think it was Audio Slave. I think she was doing Like a Stone. Anyway, okay. so she got to live her dream of the Pretty Reckless going on tour with Soundgarden, and she was on tour with them. Unfortunately, the night that he had committed suicide. So, oh. so imagine being living the dream mm. and being on tour, watching your favorite band from side stage, yeah. and then waking up to that news. So, there was a great Chris Cornell tribute that I'm proud to say that I was at while I was in Los Angeles. Yeah, uh, that uh, his, nice. his his wife Vicky Cornell put on, and invited Taylor oh. to come out. And she did my favorite Soundgarden song, Drawing Flies, and just killed that shit. So I encourage everybody to go online and check out the Chris Cornell Remembrance. All the bands were awesome. Uh, Taylor was just ridiculous. I looked up some photos. Okay, so now, now, now you've seen the power. Can you even? Is, is it, it's hard to imagine any one person is that attractive. She's very beautiful. I just have my own standards of beauty as well. That's all I gotta say. Well, <laughs> well, we right now we are in the presence of greatness. <laughs> Very much. So, so, so I can understand if you're not totally blown away by. You know, hey, yeah. you see my girl upstairs. No, she's definitely pretty. Yeah, but, 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 but awesome, and that's yeah. kind of the point. Uh, so that is so that's pretty cool. I we played tons of Pretty Reckless on the show before, so that's so cool that, that you were there for that. All right, Theo, yeah. you're up. So you, you know the format. Oh yeah, F- fill us in. Oh, okay. So the first one that I could remember. It's funny you asked this because just a little while ago we go to so many concerts as you know, DJ loving music lover family, and uh, I was like, "What was my first concert?" So it's so funny how I thought of this already. I didn't even have to think about it too much. And the first concert I ever went to was a, uh, I guess it was Kiss 106.1. It's like one of their first, not Jingle Ball, but one of their like. Big concert, like station-based uh-huh. concert, right? Right. Festivals. Where they flew out people, festival type event, and we, I got to see. Um, this was the height of 
when Avril Lavigne had like Girlfriend come out um, and her other songs, not Skater Boy, but mainly I remember Girlfriend being like the biggest song. And then Rihanna had just come back from the whole abusive relationship with Chris Brown and all that stuff. So she came out on this. She actually was hurt this night, but it was in 2006. So I was about 10 years old and uh, it was at the Verizon Theater. Okay. Over in okay. Grand Prairie or right, Arlington. right, right, right. Um, so your grandpa, I think. And, uh, and it was there and it's funny because we were walking down the halls and in the halls, they have all the posters of every single right, person sure. who's been there before. So sure enough, we were just walking down out of one of the concerts we went through, um, a few months ago. And I see the, the one that I went to my, my very first one, I was like, that's it. And I finally, we took a picture of it and it had all the artists who were there. Charlotte, uh, good Charlotte was there as well. And, uh, there's a few other small bands that were there, but the main three were Good Charlotte because they had Don't Want to Be in Love. That was their big song. And uh, Avril was there, and Rihanna was there, and I think a few I'm others. I'm sensing you have a big crush on Avril Lavigne. Are you, are you, are you getting that? I did. Catalina? Are you getting I that? I did. She loves her more than I do. At the time, she was definitely up there, but I like Rihanna a lot more. <laughs> That's just me. And um, she actually got hurt at this, um, at this concert. She sprained her... I think it was just her ankle. She had to come out on a on a freaking boot because she was walking down the hallway and I guess tripped up or something and just injured herself. But she still came out and performed on a damn chair, and it was amazing. On this little that's the real those, deal. The show must you know go I mean? on. There you the go. Show must go on exactly. And I remember my dad always telling me that's a real. Like, everyone was screaming when she came out, and they that one of the people at the time from the station came out and said, uh, "We had some kind of sad news. Rihanna got hurt backstage, but she's still going to come out." And but he made sure like he did a dramatic pause. Everyone's like, "Oh, what?" They're like, "What's going on?" And this wasn't you know the height of social media at all or any kind of. You couldn't find out on Twitter what happened. Right, right. And smartphones were barely a thing. So um, we're all like, what's going to happen now? And then the guy said, but she's still going to come out and perform. So we we're all happy. And then she comes out and everyone's just, you know, standing up. And she was like one of like the last people to perform, I think. And, um, and dad told me, that's a professional right there. That's how you keep the show going. I'm that's like, right. That that's right. Awesome. So I always remember that from that. It was a great night. And uh, it was, it was awesome. There, there was um, a lot of good memories, but I don't remember how many photos we took or where they could be at because we but didn't that's have your, that, that was your takeaway though it is yeah, oh yeah. definitely you have the memory and that's more know. important than the photos yes and let's remind people of that like oh, I yeah. know and because I gotta be honest I hate to be one of these like old curmudgeons yeah. like even if I feel like if I was 15 mm-hmm. when I go to a concert and I'm trying to watch a show and it's a sea of goddamn yes. cell phones in my it's face it's so annoying I can't stand it and not, only, not only is it a distraction yeah. from my experience but number two you're never going to watch it. The only reason why you're yeah. recording that so you is show because somebody else you or something. Want, you're doing it. You're living for somebody else. You uh-huh. want to show them, I was here, and yes. you want to be the first one. So they have to be the first one to record it and quickly get it up to be like. Yeah. yeah. I understand recording like maybe like 30 to 40 seconds of it. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I, do I record the chorus if I go to a, a song or a band that I love so much. Whatever. I do, like Only on certain songs that mean something really to me. Not every single one of the freaking right. songs. Half the time you have people who are just recording the whole entire concert. Just sitting there, I'm just like, yeah, it's so annoying. It's like, screens. were you here? Did yes. You, like, 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 your memory yes. wouldn't go in there with your dad and uh-huh. the Rihanna thing. Your yeah. memory is, yes. I held a phone. Okay, uh-huh. and, what, and what about this? I don't care where you are. Mm-hmm. Why is it that that is more important than other people's personal space? What if there was a young girl like you at yeah. RBD yeah. standing behind you? Would you do? Yeah. Would you hold your hand True. with the phone? And, like, like, why do people? It's like they do not care. Mm-hmm. And I've had yeah. people like, and I'm not like some jerk. I'm the nicest guy in the world. But I've had people like they were the only one at that concert. 
put up not sometimes an iPad or even wow. a phone and put it up where it's right here. And I'm like, I'm going to give them 30 seconds. And then, yeah, I know what you mean. And if it's a little too much, I can say, hey, I'll be like, hey, that's that's kind of enough, or can, can we can we move that over? But if you're gonna put that right in my face, I'm yeah. gonna snatch that sucker. It's blocking everybody and, else from behind and I've you. Done it's it. just annoying. I've grabbed it, and be like, oh my god, and I was like, listen, I'm gonna give it back to you. But mm-hmm. if this comes up in my face, not only will I take it again, but I'm not going to give it. I mean, I'm not like a teacher. Yeah. Next yeah. time, you're not getting it back. And that, yeah. That's not what I'm there to do. I'm there to have a good time. Well, neither of them. I know we have, oh, that's using my comedians. I know they have more content and stuff they want to write down. But most comedians now are having those pocket pouches, whatever, where you have to lock your right, phone inside right, the right. little pouch and you can't unlock until yeah. it's afterwards. Well, you know? It's a different format for comedians because yeah. you, when you go to a concert, you know they're going to play these songs. Yes. But when you go see a comedian, you don't know the yeah. material. And if mm-hmm. you already know the material, then what's the point of going? Yep. And Or it yeah. will allow, also it would breed hecklers that can anticipate certain spots. Oh, and yeah, things. that's right. So, it's de- so that's yeah, a de- yeah, totally great different. medium yeah, yeah. there for that. So, mm-hmm. so, I, I, so in closing, I've got to know then. When you went to Pretty Reckless, yes. what year was it? Uh, 2013. Okay, so that was about four years ago. So how, how old would you have been? Uh, I would have been 13. Okay, so did you wear what you would have normally wear, or did you try to adopt mm. a kind of a goth style <laughs> to adopt to, 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 to that whole thing? So I didn't know it was the Pretty Reckless, but uh, I know my friend, her style was like, the pretty reckless okay. like that little edgy style mm-hmm. so i t- tried to adapt to that style i wasn't there yet but i was getting there <laughs> right right we were only 15 I, right yeah, yeah i was right. only 15 i didn't really know much about like what edgy was at the time i thought oh i'm gonna wear like a choker here or do something like right. that make like do my makeup a little more heavier than normal yeah. that type of stuff but like i tried to adapt to it and that's mm-hmm. What I did. I mean, I gotta find some photos from that day. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you. <laughs> no, no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll find it. Oh no, no. Um, let me ask you this then. Okay. So, what if this is this is uh, wrapping up here? But so, uh, tell me this. Again, like I said, you know, not everybody uh, has either been blessed or is currently. I mean, obviously, you have a. I'm sure you also. I mean, obviously, you take care of your body. Mm-hmm. You have a you know, an exercise regimen and things like that, whatever. But when you want to like be, you're proud of your body, you you know, and you should be. And when you want to feel like, you know, weather permitting, whatever, and you want to show off your body, I think there's all too often people shame people for doing that. And I believe that there's a way to do that. I think there's definitely a way not to do that. Yes. Absolutely. But I think that there's an absolute way to be like, mm-hmm. hey, the weather is warm and mm-hmm. I've worked hard for this body. I want to show it off. I'm going to, yeah. you know, and I mean, I'm not going to McDonald's in this outfit. No. Yeah. I'm going to see the pretty reckless or mm-hmm. I'm going out to dinner with, uh, you know, my husband or boyfriend or, 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 or girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give me an example of when you're in that mode. What do you wear that makes you feel confident when you want to show off your body? Maroon. Oof. Oh okay. So I love these headphones right here. That's her color. That is my color. So Just for um, you. Yeah, just for me. There we go. Yeah. Now, um, something that I would wear, at least in the summer, that makes me feel comfortable and I think is socially acceptable for us to like walk out in the streets is definitely like a 
pair of shorts that like work that aren't like too like up the butt or like mm-hmm. too like down the thigh where it's basically just like they're not shorts anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, they, they're wear, not shorts. They're just yeah. they're, they're vulgar, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wear like a a good length type of shorts. And then I'll either wear like a nice like a tank top with like spaghetti straps or something like that. I will never like okay, a tip I guess that I learned: you can't wear a crop top with shorts because you're just gonna not. It's just not gonna look. That's good. what I'm getting at right there. That's it's what I was getting at. It's not gonna look good. Right. You're gonna look. I hate to say it, but you're gonna look cheap. Yeah. You're gonna look like you're easy, yeah. and that's not a good way to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Might well put some. Uh, Dog filter on you. <laughs> well, oh yeah, 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 we have the dog filter with the thug. Yeah. And again, we're not slut shaming. If you like yeah. the dog filter, <laughs> if nice. if cheap is your thing, if you want to look cheap, I say go for it. Yeah. But 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 the point is that what we're trying to do is is to say like okay, like for example, yeah. when if ever for you at mm-hmm. least, when is bare midriff mm-hmm. e- is bare midriff ever acceptable? I okay. Think it's acceptable. It just really kind of depends on where, though. Okay. So, so yeah, because like Miami, they have a whole other type yeah. of vibe. You know, yeah. people walk around bikinis right. all day yeah. long, but you're you're living by the beach, so yeah. yeah. It really just depends on where you're at mm-hmm. and how the environment and atmosphere is there. Okay. Down here in the south. So let's say, little, so let's say you're going to a, a an event that you're shorted. Everybody is 18 and up. Let's mm-hmm. going to a club or something. Okay. Yeah. And you're going, and and the idea is for you and your girlfriends yeah. to to look good, and you're yeah. kind of your Sex in the City kind of Looking night, bougie. yeah. Right? Okay. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what example did you just show just now? You said that because oh. you, you said that a, cro- a crop top and a yes. short is never never. It's, it's to me at least like this is just my personal opinion and from what I've learned because I've made the mistake of doing that. I've worn crop tops and shorts so many times where my mom's like, you're no, this isn't good for you. It doesn't look good for you. Um, but what if it's sporty looking? If it's sporty looking, then that's different. Okay. Just okay. because like, if it's like sporty, it's like, you're going to tell if it's athleisure or if it's, it's, it's just Athletic. normal. Right. Yeah. It could be, I guess, not jogging, but like there's been outfits for like, you know, different types of sport yeah. wear. So, but like, so, so tell me what, what is, everybody has like, 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 like something they like about themselves. Yes. Like, like my eyes will, will hypnotize you. Yes. Okay. What is something about your, your physicality that you feel like I like this about me and this is what I like to show off? I like my legs. Okay. That's one thing that I really like about them. Um, Theo, just, what do you like about her, about her body? <laughs> Oh, there's so much to oh get into. Yeah, uh, yeah. Legs are very nice when she okay. shows off her legs. So let's keep it with yeah. legs. Yeah. So what do you wear where you're kind of like, it's warm, regardless of environment, you're, it's 18 and up, wherever you're going, the legs are going to get shown tonight. What are you wearing? Shorts. I always wear my shorts because um, for me, I'm not a big girl to wear skirts and stuff. I, I'm, I have that girly personality, but when it comes to like skirts... I don't really wear them. It's it's a rare occasion. I'll either wear a really nice dress that shows off my legs, or mm-hmm. I'll wear the shorts. It just depends on where I'm going. If I'm going to like a nicer event, I'll dress up. If I'm hanging out with, let's say, Theo or my family, I'll dress it down a little bit okay. and wear shorts. Well, trust me, friends. 
no matter what Catalina Rinquist is wearing, she looks like a million <laughs> freaking mm. bucks. Yes. And if you could see what she's wearing, and, and we got to get a picture or something. Yes. So you can just see what uh, we do. she described it perfectly. But if you could see what I'm seeing, right, it's like staring at the sun, Catalina. It's ridiculous. It's hot. Like, but then, but then, like I said, but then you dress uh, your your body so well. Once again, tech savvy tutor, my man Theo Garza. Uh, once again, remind everybody where they can find you on the interwebs. Oh yes, look us up. Instagram is tech savvy tutors with an S on the end. You'll find Tonka, our little buffalo, our bison guy. He's wearing glasses and he's all brown with purple eyes. And on Facebook as well, we have a closed group and a page you can like. But also, you can email us at techsavvytutors at gmail.com. Yeah, email them, not not me. I, I, don't, yes. I, I love the emails <laughs> I'm getting, of course, but, mm-hmm. but send it directly to Theo. Yes, anybody yeah. you know who has a startup or wants to be an entrepreneur in any kind of field, let them know. I can help them out with their social media savviness and getting to know the new updates that are on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I live my life on those things, so definitely let us know. Outstanding. And Catalina, once again? You guys can find me on Instagram at your underscore underscore personal stylist. You can find me on Twitter at Kathy Ringquest. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have any social media or you don't feel comfortable with that, um, you can always Then call Theo and get, and get it started right now. <laughs> <laughs> get it started. Yeah. Or um, you can always like shoot me a text or give me a call. Um, at 972-741-3953. And then you can always send me an email at Kathy Ringquist, that is R-I-N-G-Q-U-I-S-T, at sbcglobal.net. Outstanding. And, of course, you always can find us on, on podcasts, uh, on iTunes, Spotify, all the major ones, Google Play, FM Player, Stitcher, all the way across the board. Uh, again, we want to thank our, our friends internationally and globally, all of our sponsors. To my guests, Theo and Catalina, once again, so glad to have you guys back. Yeah. You can find us on Twitter at the number Tricky Kid, the number two. Obviously, we can find us on Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid, mm-hmm. under Facebook at the Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. Once again, as always, I am your host, Roy Turner. Stick around. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.